Happy Easter. Christ is risen. Yeah, th that is the reply, right? Christ is risen. And I know it feels like, as Christy was saying, it feels like it's a long time ago. But interestingly, in the church calendar, uh, Easter actually lasts for 50 days. And they treat that 50 days as one day. So we are still in the season of Easter. So, happy Easter. We're in the fifth Sunday of Easter. Uh, and if you've been with us throughout, oh, it's pretty loud right now. Is it loud to you guys? It feels like I'm yelling at you. I don't want to yell at you. All right? It's too nice a day. It's a holiday weekend. I don't want to yell at you. <laughs> um, it's, uh, uh, if you've been with us throughout this springtime, we have been following the disciples um, through the season of Lent. We've been following them as Jesus makes his way to the cross and watching how these followers of Jesus seem to get it wrong time and time again. But now, on the other side of the resurrection, we continue with these disciples as they encounter the risen Christ. And what a difference that makes. I mean, all these doubting, bumbling, would-be followers who kept getting it wrong are now being transformed into, well, the cornerstones of the church. It's a, it's a great story of the church broken and becoming the people of God. And it's kind of a, a perfect story for us as a church because, well, why do we exist? Pretty good. You're getting there, all right? We'll try that again. You can read it with me, right? We exist to be a community where people... Oh, that's pretty enthusiastic. You didn't want to yell at me either, did you? I know that's what it was. Let's try it again. We exist to be a community where people meet Jesus and become more like him. Now let's try it without it. We exist to be a community of people... You're good. You're good. Um, because that's really what's happening in this series, right? We're following a community of people who are meeting Jesus, the crucified and now resurrected Jesus. And as they're following him, these disciples, they are becoming more and more like him. And what's happening to them is exactly what we want to happen to us. So, even though it's, I shouldn't rub it in, but even though it's really nice out there right now, <laughs> I'm really glad you're here. I'm really glad you're here. Uh, because Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. So, um, our, our text today is in John chapter 20. And if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to that, all right? Uh, John chapter 20, it's another one of the times when Jesus appears. I'm going to also put it on the screen, so if you, you know, get lazy or forgot to bring it, or that phone is just too distracting for you, let me read it up here with you. Let me read it up. There it goes. <laughs> on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the disciples had gathered together, 
and locked the doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Now, we're in John 20, near the sort of middle of the chapter. Did you notice when this story takes place? Because a lot of times, a lot of these stories, we just kind of think they happen over a long period of time. But this story happens on Easter Sunday. All right? So we're still in what seems like the world's longest day. <laughs> in fact, if you put these narratives together, it's kind of a breathless day. Uh, early in the morning, John tells us, the women moved to the, to the, the tomb because they wanted to anoint the bodies. They are shocked because... The tomb is empty. So, there's a lot of running. They run back to the disciples and tell them, at which point Peter and John run back. Because, as if you were here last week, as Doug said, you can't really trust the testimony of a woman, of a woman, right? That's in, not now. Now you can. But back then, right? <laughs> yes. Hot in here, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, back then, back then you couldn't, so they had to go check with themselves, right? So they run all the way back, and sure enough, the tomb's empty. It's not there. So what do they do? They run back to their place. But Mary Magdalene, I don't know whether it's just because she's a little out of shape, or because probably more likely, she's just heartbroken. All right? And so she just says, because what have they done? What have they done with I just wanted to give him a proper burial. Right? She sticks around, and that becomes appearance number one. Still in the morning, Jesus appears. She thinks he's the gardener until she says her name. And then, it's you. He says, don't hold on to me. Go back and tell them what you have seen. That's still before lunchtime. All right? That's a lot of running back and forth. Meanwhile... Out in the OK Corral on the road to Emmaus, we have some disciples that are on the way back from Jerusalem. They're sad because Jesus has died, right? And that's the story we also heard. That is, when do they meet Jesus? Well, it's on the way back, and they stop for lunch, and that's when he breaks the bread. So we're just at lunch with those guys. They suddenly realize in the breaking of the bread, this is Jesus. He is no longer dead. He is risen. So what do they do? They run back to the disciples. And now we are Sunday night. The disciples have still not seen Jesus. They're not even really sure what to believe. In fact, they are scared. They are afraid. And, and, and it's kind of understandable because, after all, their master had been executed as an enemy of the, as an enemy of the state. And... They're no one associates. So you, you get the idea why you'd want to be holed up in a room, lock the doors, and I don't know what you're going to do, right? Well, I'm drawn to this situation because I think if there's one emotion above all others that kind of characterizes our world today, I think you could make a pretty compelling case that it would be Fear. I mean, we even have acronyms to describe it, right? What is FOMO? See, you didn't think I knew that one, right? FOMO? Because I'm pretty cool. 
in case you're not as cool as me or haven't looked at the Urban Dictionary lately, it is the fear of missing out. You're absolutely right. But there are other ones that I'm learning, okay? There is the fear of passionless monotony. What? Aren't you glad you came here today? I don't know whether it's a real one or not. It is now, right? But this sort of existence, what if I just keep going on the way I am? And it consumes us with fear. Or the fear of not being awesome, right? right? Or even amazing. Or, or maybe even adequate, right? Or the secret one that I think grips you not just as a young person but all the way up. What if they find out who I really am? <laughs> what, if they re what if they finally realize I'm a bit of a fraud at my work? They think I'm something good, but I don't feel nearly as adequate as I should be. What if I don't measure up? I'll tell you, every time someone comes and stands up here, <laughs> there is great fear, and it is usually not a holy fear. It is about these sorts of things, right? So these fears and anxieties grip us all. We just, some of us just learn to mask it better. The fear of letting people down. Right? The fear of running out. The older you get, as you start looking towards retirement, I wonder if I'm going to run out. Or, or maybe, maybe it's at university and you're thinking, uh-oh, I have to make it from here to here. What if I run out? run out of money, run out of friends, run out of things. What if things just run out? This sort of scarcity mindset. And then there are other ones, right? The fear of people who are different than me. The fear of not having enough. Any others? <laughs> right? We have an awful lot of fears that we wrestle with in this world. In fact, I think maybe, maybe it's just that we talk about them more, but I don't think so. I think that things like Instagram and Facebook, all the, they, they have heightened up our awareness of other people's best moments. <laughs> right? Because let's face it, Instagram is our best moments. If we don't like that shot of me, I'm going to get rid of it. <laughs> right? I only want you to see me at my best. I only want you to and eavesdrop in on my most wonderful moments, my most extreme and awesome and amazing moments. And we see that. And, wow, our life, our honest, real, to honest to goodness life, kind of pales in comparison. And we fear that maybe we're not as amazing as we thought we were. I don't know. It feels like nowadays fear is at an all time high. And it's always debilitating to some extent, but in some cases, this fear becomes mercilessly debilitating, right? You know what I'm talking about. And, and this isn't a sermon on fear, nor is it a sermon on its best friend, anxiety, <laughs> as my daughter would attest. I am not qualified nor capable to talk on that subject. <laughs> I got a little round of applause there. But it's simply to say that fear and anxiety are a big part of our life. Would you agree? Yeah? Um, 
these disciples were afraid. They were locked in a room. And to some extent, I think we've been there, living life in fear with the metaphorical doors locked. All right. We feel life closing in on us. The doors are locked. Well, into this locked room, Jesus appears. Jesus came and stood among them, John says, and said to them, Peace be with you. Peace. Shalom is the Hebrew word, right? It's actually a really common greeting, kind of like me saying, Hi, how you doing? Hi, Shalom. <laughs> right? Or maybe, you know, if I've sneezed, <laughs> you'd say, yeah, or if you're German, Gesundheit, or if you're English, maybe God bless you. <laughs> uh, right? It, it's just kind of a thing that rolls off the tip of the tongue. But in the, coming from the mouth of the risen Lord, this means so much more. Why? Because shalom describes God's intention for this world. It is way bigger than simply, hey, peace, man. Um, that's me being a hippie. Um, it's about peace, but so much more. It's about well-being. It's about tranquility. It's about wholeness. It's about restored relationships. It's about health. It's completeness, right? Tranquility. This is God's desire. It's his dream. It's intent, his intended dream and purpose for our lives. Peace with God. Peace with ourselves. Peace with each other. It is shalom. So when Jesus says to these disciples, locked in their room of fear, shalom, he is saying, here I am. I am the yes to all of God's promises. I am the shalom. I am here to let you know that these fears and anxieties are not what God wants for your life. God wants shalom. So Jesus comes and stands amongst them and says to them, Shalom be with you. Shalom be with you. When he had said this, he then showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. He showed them his hands and he showed them his sides. Now, when's this happening again? What day? Right? How long ago were these wounds made, inflicted? Yeah, right? Like, not long. Friday, right? These wounds are still raw wounds, they are still open wounds. They are very visible wounds. I sometimes think of them as just scars. Not at this point, right? They're wounds. Um, and there is no mistaking it. The crucified one is absolutely the resurrected one. And the resurrected one is the crucified one. They are one and the same. If you think that suddenly becoming a follower of Jesus will put you only into the happy, slappy, sort of dance sort of mode of resurrected Jesus, you're missing the scars, okay? The resurrected Jesus is still the 
crucified Jesus. And the crucified Jesus, if you are feeling down and in the, in the midst of despair, the crucified Jesus is also the resurrected Jesus. That is not the end of the story. Crucifixion and resurrection are held together in the hands, the wounds, the living hands and wounds of Jesus. And when the disciples saw this, they rejoiced. Why? Because this was the very same Jesus they had known and loved for the past three years. It was the same one whose teaching had changed their lives, right? The same one who had turned the world upside down. The same one for whom they had left their occupation and said, we want to follow you. The same one that had left them devastated when he was crucified because, because they thought he was different. That this person was the Messiah, the, the unique son of God. And then, he's executed like a common criminal. But now, seeing Jesus alive, this changes everything. <laughs> it's not iPhone that changes everything. This resurrection changes everything. Jesus is alive, standing right there in front of him. That means that God has vindicated Jesus. Got that? That is the big message of the resurrection. God has vindicated Jesus. You crucified him, Acts says. You crucified him, but God raised him. You thought you were getting rid of a blasphemer, but no, this is the Holy One of God, the Messiah. God has declared Jesus to be Lord and Messiah through this resurrection. Yes, it was the exact same Jesus right down to the wounds. They knew this man well right down to the wounds, this was Jesus. <laughs> but he was different, right? Now he can go where no one else goes, offering shalom. He can go where no friend can go, where no lover can go, where no career can go, where no amount of wealth can go. Locked doors are no match for him. Fear is no match for him. Anxiety is no match for him. The presence of, presence of Christ can now reach us anywhere at any time. There is no place, catch this, that is too dark. No situation that is too deep no heart that is too locked that the presence of Christ cannot reach you. Can I say that again? There is no place too dark, no situation too deep, no heart too locked that the presence of Jesus cannot reach you. Not anymore. And that's why these disciples rejoiced. Because Jesus, the crucified one, was alive. And had met them face to face. <laughs> that's good news, right? So Jesus says it again to them. He says, oops, let me just go there. He says it again to them. Peace be with you. Just as the Father has sent me, I also 
send you. And here's the interesting part. Jesus doesn't just come to bring us shalom and peace and joy. It's not just for our own personal consumption, although it's all good and it certainly does that and it's a great thing to have experienced. We are not just broken and becoming as if the reason Jesus came was to make us feel better. We are broken, becoming, and sent. Right? We are a sent people. The presence of Christ and the peace of Christ is now accompanied by the purpose of Christ. Just as the Father has sent me with those same words of shalom, I'm now sending you. We are to be ambassadors of shalom, people who bring reconciliation and peace and restored relationships and health. That's what Jesus came to do, and that's what he now calls us to do. In the same way, and with the same purpose the Father sent me, I also send you. Broken, becoming, and sent. But good news, because Jesus doesn't just send us on our own. After this, after he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a rather strange and kind of awesome scene. In some beautiful way, Jesus breathes on them. The, the Greek actually says, breathes into them. Right? Breathes into them. Uh, the Hebrew word for breath is ruah. All right, why don't you say that with me? Ruah. I, I, love, I love when words actually sound like what they are. Ruah. Right? It's the word that they use to translate spirit and wind and breath. Ruah. So the, the Spirit of God is the wind of God, which is the breath of God, right? It's the same breath, the same ruha that came over in Genesis 1, the chaos and the darkness and the disorder of this world, right? The same breath that brought order and form in creation. It's the same breath in Genesis 2 that breathes into the nostrils of a lump of clay, <laughs> And it comes alive. Ruha. And it's the same breath that is now breathing new life into these <laughs> fear-filled, door-locked disciples. Right? New life. New creation. But there's another story, a little more obscure one, that I think is a cool one to use as a backdrop for this. It's found in a, 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 the book written by a guy named Ezekiel. He's a prophet, not read a lot, um, and there are some wild, wild visions and dreams and all the rest of that stuff in there, but it's got some pretty cool sort of metaphors and, and, and things that we can ponder and think about. Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel has a dream, and the Spirit of the Lord sets him in the middle of a valley, a valley full of Bones. Bones that were very dry. And if you think this sounds like an episode 
from Game of Thrones, you're not maybe far off, except it feels like this one came first. <laughs> uh, the Lord asked him, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel says, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And he continues with the vision. He says, and I'm going to read you this story. And as I do, I want you to think about the disciples locked in a room paralyzed by fear. Here it goes. Then the Lord said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you. And you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So Ezekiel says, I prophesied as it was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and, and, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I, I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Hmm. Just a bunch of dead, dry bones now assembled. Then the Lord said to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they might live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And I think this is exactly what is happening in John 20. Dead, dry bones. Bones locked away out of fear. Useless, brittle, lifeless bones. But the presence of Christ, the Ruha of God, breathes life, breathes the Holy Spirit into these disciples. And they come to life as a vast army. <laughs> but not the sort of army that wreaks destruction on this earth. These are an army of peacemakers, right? Ambassadors of Shalom. A mighty army rises filled with the Spirit of God. As the Father sent the Son, the Son now sends the Spirit, in the, the, now sends us in the power of the Spirit. He says, receive the Holy Spirit and prepare for your mission. And so the question is, so what is that mission? We're ready. We're a mighty army ready for our mission. Are you ready? <laughs> Here it is. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you retain anyone's sins, they are retained. When I read that, I was like, huh? It wasn't exactly what I had been thinking or expecting, right? Because when, when I hear verse 23 about uh, kind of, a, uh, you know, if someone, if you forgive someone's sins, they're forgiven. I kind of get this picture of like a priest in the confessional and kind of hearing confession and saying, you're, you're forgiven, go and sin no more. And that's not me, right? It doesn't feel like what I do. 
Uh, or if you read the second part, do you remember the Seinfeld episode, No Soup for You? Remember that? It kind of feels almost the same thing, you know. Uh, forgiveness for you, 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 you. No forgiveness for you, right? It's, it's that same sort of idea. You are like, you are like, you not so much. Right? It made me feel kind of uneasy. But this is the case where I think our English language kind of lets us down. Because the word translated here, forgive, is a Greek word that says, uh, that's known as aphiemi. Okay, aphiemi. And it simply is a word for release. Release. Can you feel just that openness? Release. It's the, it's the word that's given when a slave is let go. Right? Um, in fact, it's the, when, when Jesus comes. Let me just see where I am here. Oh, yeah. Um, this is nice, too. I didn't want to get that. I, I said this sort of thing. So get, get your hands. Got, got your hands with me for a minute? Okay. Now, I want you to clench them really, really, really tight, as hard as you can. All right, harder. Now, harder still. They should be shaking. All right. Uh, now harder still. Okay, got it. Now afiemi them. Release them. Do you feel that? That is afiemi. Can you feel even your shoulders letting them? Whew, just that tension, right? Just let them go. Some of you didn't do it, I can tell. <laughs> right? You're still all tense. All right? right? Afiemi is this release. And you can see why it's a beautiful metaphor, a beautiful word to use for what we call forgiveness, right? It beautifully represents forgiveness because to forgive someone is to release them from their past, to set them free. A fiamy is to release them and probably us from bitterness, anger, resentment. A fiamy is all that, but it's also more than that because... Aphiemi is what Jesus says his mission is all about in Luke 4. Here's Luke 4. Jesus starts his ministry, and what does he say? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's reading from Isaiah. He says, For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to pro proclaim that the captives will be aphiemied, that the blind will see and the oppressed will be aphiemied, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This word of mission is all about releasing captives. It's about freeing the oppressed. It's about bringing shalom and wholeness to our world. About, priest, about bringing peace in the presence of Christ to doors that are locked in fear. It's about continuing the mission of Jesus. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. As I offer you shalom, you are to offer it to others. But what about the second part? If you retain anyone's sin, it's retained. Well, I actually think that one's pretty simple. In some of your Bibles, that's translated forgive. If, uh, if you forgive if you do not forgive someone's sins, they are not forgiven. That's, that's just a bad translation. They're two different words. One is about releasing. The other one is about holding and clenching. All right? Uh, so I like this translation better. If you retain anyone's sins, they are retained. So I actually think this is a 
pretty simple one because I think it's true on a personal and then on a communal level. At a personal level, <laughs> if we're wronged and we continue to hold on to that wrongdoing, and you know what I'm talking about, if we mull it over in our minds, you know, and lick our chops with the thought of resentment and bitterness towards that person, if we harbor hatred and all of that towards the offended party, then we, <laughs> both the person who has offended us and me as well, we are both of us bound. We are not released. There is no release. Shalom cannot exist by definition. There's no health. There's no restored relationship. There's no peace. If you clench onto and retain another person's sin, you do no one any favors. Not yourself and not the other person because release has not been offered. Right? Got it? The fists are still clenched. That's at a personal level. But I also think it happens at a communal level. We are to be proclaimers of good news, just as Jesus was. If we hold, withhold that good news, how will people know that we're released? John Francis told us a story, I guess, a few months ago now, about an elephant, who, a work elephant, who was chained to this pole and had to go around around the pole. Do you remember that, some of you? Remember that? And he went around around the pole. Finally, he was, the chain was broken. But you know what happened? The elephant kept going around that pole as if he was still chained. Forgiveness has been offered. Release is what God is all about. But if we don't know, we're like that elephant that just keeps on going around that circle. We're called to be proclaimers of the good news. As the Father sent the Son, so the Son sends us in the power of the Spirit. Peace be with you. That's the message. Peace be with you. Shalom. And, and, and that's what communion does for us. It reminds us that these chains have been released, that shalom has been secured. All right. The crucified one is the resurrected one who meets us here right as we are in this locked up, fearful, anxiety-ridden world. He meets us right here through these emblems, offering us his presence, his peace, and his purpose. Because the truth is, you have been forgiven. You have been released. Now, I don't know what sort of shackles you come into this place with, right? Right? I don't know what they are. I don't know what those fears and anxieties are. But I want to tell you, with all the authority of Scripture, <laughs> you have been released. All those fears are lies. You are loved by God for who you are, just as you are. 
Shalom is God's intention for you, not striving. Shalom. All your sins are forgiven. Your disbelief and your skepticism is forgiven. All you're missing the mark, all your imperfection, all your being less than God intended for you, all of it, it's all forgiven. You are released. And that is what God in Christ has been trying to do since this world began. He's been trying to get us to tell us that all the way along. And God's gone to great lengths to convince us of it. Ultimately, by sending his son to let us know. God showed his love for us by sending his son, even while we were sinners. Not even death was too great a price for God to show us his love. But now the question is, and this is a tough one, can you actually believe that? Can you actually trust that deeply? Because unbelief, like that elephant walking around the pool, that's the only thing that can keep us from living lives that are free, released. But I want you to know that even as you're sitting here right now, God is breathing into you, his ruha, into these dead, dry bones. He is breathing into you, his spirit, releasing you calling you to become a mighty army. So as we take this bread, we remember that Christ's body was broken for us. As we take this juice, we remember that Christ's blood was shed for us. Christ himself invites you to this table to bring you peace. So let me call the ushers together up to the front and we will um, pass these emblems Our, what we've been doing here is to pass them and I'm going to ask you to hold on to them and the band is going to come up and play uh, hold on to them and then we'll take them together at the end the body of Christ broken for you the blood of Christ shed for you to bring you shalom <laughs>